0: All listeners, prepare for boarding. This is International Lounge. Hello and welcome to International Lounge, your passport to world culture. We explore history, music, film, food, and tales from travelers. So put your tray tables down because it's going to be a smooth ride. This is Captain Abdu speaking along with my flight attendant or steward, Brendan. Hello, everyone. All right. Welcome aboard. And we are about to uh, take flight and travel to the ancient land of Egypt, or Musr, as they say in Arabic. Tell us, Brendan, a bit about Egypt. Well, here's
1: uh, some basic facts about Egypt. Uh, As you all know, the capital is Cairo. Uh, In Arabic, they call it al Mm Qahira. and uh, what does that that mean in Arabic? That
0: means the victorious, and uh, we will, uh, of course, be exploring the victories as well as the losses of Cairo throughout history.
1: Okay. Uh, the population of Egypt is about eighty-five million people. Whopping ninety um, percent of those uh, Egyptians are, follow the Muslim faith, and uh, about ten percent are Coptic Christians. And uh, we have a quote here about Egypt, which we'd like to share from the late Pope Shenouda III. He says, "Egypt is not a country we live in, but a country that lives within us."
0: Ooh, profound. And we will see that quote come to life as we explore our first segment. A brief time of history. So let's talk about the Nile. Very important. Herodotus uh, observed that Egypt was the gift of the Nile. Uh, Without the Nile, Egypt, as we know, it would not exist. Uh, Rainfall in East Africa ensured that the Nile rose each summer. As the rains eased, the river level dropped, leaving a layer of rich silt washed down from the hills of Africa. When they planted seeds on this fertile land, they could grow a good crop.
1: Interesting about the Nile is that It flows from the south to the north, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, which is, of course, why Upper Egypt is actually the south half of the country. Lower Egypt is the north. Right,
0: exactly. So, and um, another uh, thing with that is that um, much like in the United States, uh, we have a lot of jokes about people in the south, you know, being a little bit slower, kind of hicks, rednecks. Same thing in Egypt. Southern people in South Egypt, uh, they call them Saidi, they have same kind of jokes. They're a bit slower, a bit. You know, I'm not saying that. That's what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Okay, I right. think that they're all. All Egyptians are equal. All mm-hmm. uh, people are equal. Of probably. Course. Course. I, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know everybody, but um, uh, that so is interesting, right? If you're just from the south in any country, you're. They have that same stereotype. What uh,
1: what are some of the jokes? Can you give us an example of, of a joke they say? <laughs> what is that? What does a Kyrene say about? I don't playing? know
0: these smug Kyrenes in, in their ivory towers in Zamalek, Who knows? What, you know, I'm sure they're just saying they don't they have, they don't wash their galabeas or something. Right, I, I Ooh, that's know. that's <laughs>
1: scathing. That kind is of stuff. burned right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So moving on to um, after prehistoric Egypt, we have uh, the Old Kingdom, of sure, course, the classics. Yeah. Um, so let's start with uh, Menace. He is credited with uniting North and South Egypt around 3100 BC. Uh, legend goes that he founded Memphis. Mm-hmm. Graceland, yeah,
0: sure.
1: Right, uh, located at the junction between Upper and Lower Egypt. Uh, and then we have uh, your guys, Zoser. Oh, yeah, of this course. Guy. He reigned from 2667 to 2648 BC. Uh, he was buried in the world's oldest monumental stone building, the Steppe Pyramid in Saqqara.
0: Uh, Interesting thing about uh, Sakar, so we actually have been there uh, at the same time. Some would say we went together Mm -hmm. at the same time. Um, But uh, what's interesting about so where the idea of a step pyramid came from, uh, this all started with uh, basically, you know, important people died. They just threw them in the desert, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, underground in the desert, and they realized that uh, it was cool under the ground. And it was actually preserving the bodies. Mm. So what they would do was they would um, build something called the mastaba, which in Arabic means a bench. So they build this structure, just this rectangular structure over that burial site. Then, for more prominent people, they would stack like another mastaba on top, like a smaller one. And then, as more prominent, the higher the mastabas would be. So that's what how it evolved into what was a step pyramid. Essentially, mm. they're just stacked mastabas. Right. Uh, so it's, uh, it's pretty neat. Um, now, um, I hope the, uh, the, uh, the World Heritage Foundation is uh, not listening to the show, which uh, I presume they're not yet. Uh, but I just want the audience to know that I actually do possess a piece of the Saqqara Pyramid.
1: And why did you uh, take a piece of the Saqqara Pyramid? And did you chip it off? Or I was it just chip... loose? Piece? I did
0: not chip it off. It belongs to me. Uh, it belongs to everybody. Well, it belongs to the world. Mm-hmm. So why can't I take it? Well, why the reason
1: I? why you'd keep it somewhere is that you know, the world can see it. I mean, where is it I'll, now? And, then
0: I'll give it back. What do you want me you to know, do? You're going to give it back? Yeah, I'll give it back.
1: Okay, well, um, talking about uh, pyramids, um, there's also Sneferu, of course. Um, Classic. A- after Zozer. He built a couple pyramids at Dashur, which are uh, a bit lesser known But they're very, uh, very important in a pyramid development. Uh, Can you tell us a bit more about Oh, um... yeah, yeah.
0: This is some classic stuff. Uh, Sneferu was insistent on having a smooth-sided pyramid. I don't know why the sides of the pyramid were so important to him, but that's what he wanted. So actually, I gave a um, a lecture series on this uh, to uh, a uh, first-grade class, um, which they were not well-versed. Uh, in the Old Kingdom as much as I would have hoped. And basically, I, I sort of uh, describe this as the pharaoh that would uh, that would never give up. That's sort of the moral of the story. Although, uh, really, in reality, he wasted lots of uh, resources and human lives mm-hmm. uh, for these, right, of probably, these projects here. <laughs> now, um, so what he did was, first he started off with the collapsed Pyramid. He builds a pyramid, basically a step pyramid, then fills in the gaps. But the sides of the pyramids slide off hence the collapsed pyramid. Then he says, okay, forget it. Let's build another pyramid and let's build it just uh, smooth from the ground up. They start building it. They realize the angle is wrong. This thing's gonna collapse in on itself. So they change the angle midway through. So there's actually a bend in the pyramid. So there's like a corner of the, on the pyramid. Mm-hmm. Um, so then that doesn't work. Then finally he tries it one more time, builds the red pyramid, world's uh, first smooth sided pyramid. And there we have it. Um, Which is interesting about this is your uh, ufologists out there like to sort of say that the pyramids, you know, came, you know, aliens came down and built these uh, beautiful uh, structures in Giza. And it was everything was uh, perfect. And they had all the calculations, right? Well, no. Obviously, Sneferu, like, messed up a ton. Uh, couldn't get it right. They made all these mistakes. And that's how things get made, through lots and lots of mistakes.
1: Yeah, it's, it's strange how, um, why would aliens come from galaxies away to build what are really just crude stone monuments? Yeah. I mean, they couldn't take any metal with them. Yeah. Like, it's, like a it's... piece of
0: plastic. Right, like, right. Like throw like an iPod down there while you're at Like something. Like... <laughs>
1: yeah, I don't Speaking of what's in uh, in the Pyramids, we, we actually had the opportunity to visit oh, yeah. Scary
0: stuff, uh, yeah. the
1: the Red Pyramid. Um, what was in the Red Pyramid?
0: It was like a gift shop, a Starbucks, something like that. Or... there a Starbucks? <laughs> <in> the... <laughs> it was a hot day. I don't really recall. It could have just been a mirage.
1: I mean, as I recall, it was just one guy in a Galabia taking tickets. But, you know, what's interesting about the Red Pyramid is it's actually very impressive. I mean, people don't re- usually uh, get to see the Red Pyramid because... Yeah, you know, everyone's too busy looking at the uh, Pyramids of Giza, which, of course, were erected by Sneferu's mm-hmm. successors, Khufu, Khafre, and, of course, Menkare. Yes, uh,
0: um, three amigos.
1: But, but uh, the Red Period is actually very impressive. If you ever do get the chance to visit um, Egypt, it is much less crowded than the mm-hmm. Pyramids of Giza, and you get a lot more time to contemplate, like, you know, whatever people contemplate <laughs> sure, at the pyramids. Sure, so. sure. Um, let's talk about the Pyramids of Giza. Um, We've also had the opportunity to visit those sites. What were some of your initial impressions?
0: Uh, I felt it was a sweaty, sticky, inner thigh mess, as well as a majestic wonder of the world.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would would tend to agree with you. I mean, something that people don't see when they see pictures of the Pyramids of Giza is uh, it looks like it's in the middle of a desert. But in reality, it's actually... Right next to a bunch of giant slums. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about like what, like a thousand yards away. So yes. it's okay. very close. Um, but the pyramids are majestic. Yeah, they really are. It's- S- same as the Sphinx. Uh, the whole complex is, you know, amazing. But um just a few footsteps away is, you know, the slums of Cairo, and it's it's a very strange contrast.
0: Uh, it's weird, because when I went there, they actually, one guy was telling me that the only way to get to the pyramids was on horseback. Mm-hmm. As if the most famous tourist site in the world could only be reached on horseback. So <laughs> children, people in wheelchairs, they all have to go on horseback. Right, right. <laughs> so yeah, that the, was the case.
1: The first time I went to see the pyramids, we uh, we were actually kind of tricked into seeing it on horseback, because we didn't know any better. And uh, one of our guides, this Egyptian man told us that the pyramids were a million years old and he just kind of kept saying you know fake facts like that which wouldn't really mind it was kind of funny <laughs> it was a little off but, but uh but yeah i mean uh if if you do take you know if you do go to the pyramids um you know you could always go right through the front gate um there's a kfc right on, right in front Perfect. so you know it's you know it's legit Perfect. so
0: all right that sounds like a good itinerary for the day um so let's talk about the new kingdom all right so, uh, basically, we got these pyramids up in Giza. Everyone, like, grave robbers go in there, break into the place. It's not uh, such a great uh, location. So, they actually move everything down to uh, the south or upper Egypt. So, Thebes was the capital of the new kingdom. Uh, Thutmose I built the first tomb in the Valley of the Kings. So now, the tombs went underground instead of being these structures above ground as a better way to evade grave robbers. And the Valley of the Kings are, of course, in? Luxor. That is a where, basically where Thebes, the modern-day Thebes, is in Luxor. Mm-hmm. Um, now, his daughter, Hatshepsut, built the great mortuary temple of Der el Bahari. Uh, 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 uh basically, her, it was interesting with her, her, um, I think she, her body, like, went missing. Like, she went missing at one point. She disappears. Really? And they actually didn't know what her body was, and it was, like, this great mystery, like, Where's the body of Hatshepsut? Do you know where it was for, like, decades? No. In the basement of the Cairo Museum. Wow. that's It seems like something that would happen. <laughs> that's happened. something that's that
1: would happen. Yeah, that really would have. It had
0: been. been there the whole time. Wow. This was the great discovery. Um, so, in the 1340s BC, oh, this is my favorite, Pharaoh Amenhotep IV and his wife created a sun-worshipping religion. Uh, based on the cult of Aten, a monotheistic religion. So that's mm, just huge. Right. This is a completely polytheistic society. They uh, Basically, he goes into the desert, has a vision, and starts this monotheistic religion. He changes his name from Amenhotep uh, to Akhenaten, based off of Aten. Right? He founded a new capital at Tel El Amarna, basically where he had that vision in the desert. So they all scramble. They just built this new capital in mm. Thebes, and now they're scrambling to build another one. Uh, move it over to Atel Marna, and basically people were not pleased. And he, I think he would be, a, at the time, he's a crazy guy. Like, oh, yeah, What yeah. sort of madness is this? Yeah.
1: Um, you know, it's weird because, like, you know, I feel like a lot of um, these religions are sun-worshipping. Mm-hmm. Then you have the monotheism. He's kind of taken, you know, one from column A, one from column sure. B. Um, you know, in in a way it's innovative, but in some ways it's like, the same thing yeah it's you know, just like,
0: like whatever the yeah. sun okay fine <laughs> just yeah. like whichever one we're just gonna
1: do that yeah okay they're all kind of the same do we know his vision too what was what was the vision he saw uh
0: i think maybe the sun rays you know you know Sm- I, yeah, the son smiled at him he had like sunglasses I, I don't know mm, the son
1: sunglasses <laughs> I think
0: so <laughs> okay uh, I think it's so, you know those, uh, those depictions of a smiling right the right sun, okay of course uh, which is irresistible mm. uh, particularly when starting a cult now um, the Amarna revolution led to their son-in-law Tutankhaten to become a boy king and return the capital themes which, which is interesting right like any time in history, if there is a child emperor or king, that means the person before him just really messed up. Yeah, nobody yeah, just nobody just deserves it. They're not like, you're doing a great job. We're just going to make it the king right now. <laughs> yeah. No. So this guy, Tutank becomes the king. And, well, he later changed his name to the better known Tutank Amun, or King Tut. Of course. Taz. That's where course. it comes from. So actually, he, he wanted to not have the Aten part in his name, right? So he, he wanted to go back to the old religion, right, which included Amun-Ra, so he's mm-hmm. Tutankhamun. Oh, that's that's very interesting. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But
1: I've heard that he's a very uh you know everyone knows about him because of his tomb. Yeah. Um which is, you know, very famous discovery, but he was actually a very insignificant yeah. pharaoh, like people nobody the, cares about the, him. And the really.
0: and the reason that the reason his tomb was so well preserved cuz he was so insignificant that no grave robbers didn't think to rob that tomb. Right. So right. Then it it was actually preserved. So then when, you know, uh, in like the 1900s or whatever, they're going in there and exploring uh, the Valley of the Kings. This is completely preserved. And then all the treasures and all the gold is still in there. Right. So that's it. All he had to do was nothing. <laughs> and now he's the most famous pharaoh well, of all time. To be fair, uh, it, I, I
1: many scholars believe that Tutankhamun did suffer from a lot of maladies. Which is why he died so young. So he didn't have he didn't have a lot of a time to you know, get his groove on, as sure, they say. Sure. Um, so we can't be too hard on the boy prince.
0: Now, when we're talking about real deal pharaohs, not your little boys, mm-hmm. okay, we're talking about Ramses II. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. circa twelve seventy nine to thirteen BC. Mm-hmm. Okay, what he did was actually when pharaohs would have their names like written in stone, he'd like basically like wipe those out and carve his name into the stone. So his name's all over the place. Right, right. Uh, He's got massive um, statues in Abu Simbel, Mm -hmm. most famously. Uh, So he's the guy. Um, So let's flash forward more into this new kingdom, okay? Big things are happening. Persian invasion of 525 BC began a new era of rule by foreigners that basically lasted until Nasser overthrew Egypt's (laughs) monarchy in 1952. So it's like this is the beginning of these... Uh, these uh, foreign invaders coming into Egypt. Basically, they founded a new city near Memphis, where the old capital was, called Babylon in Egypt. This is actually today's old Cairo. So this is where the origins of Cairo go back this far. Mm. Okay? And uh, Egypt remained under Persian control until 332 BC, when their entire empire succumbed to Alexander the Great.
1: Of course. There he is again. (laughs) I'm coming back. So... Alexander the Great, I mean, what did he do in Egypt? His army arrived on the Nile in 331 BC. Of course, he is the namesake of Alexandria. Oh, uh, yeah. And we all know what's in Alexandria. Alexandria is a pretty famous place. I mean, no yeah. one talks about it now. Right. But they had a couple of good things there. They had uh, the library of Alexandria. Sure,
0: sure. And I know you think libraries are boring. I Me too. But uh, this I guess was a good one.
1: they <laughs> um, also had the famous lighthouse, sure. which of course was one of the original wonders of the world. Mm-hmm. um no
0: longer no longer there today. Yeah, I made that mistake. Yeah, I was when we were in Alexandria, I was curious. <laughs> to see it and to my dismay it actually had crumbled <laughs> you're
1: only uh, a thousand years uh, late sure. to
0: see this just missed it
1: but there is a new library there it's uh yeah. it's high tech great it's got computers mm-hmm. and you know someone must be doing something there
0: would you say that actually it's better than the original library then
1: um better i wouldn't use the word better well it
0: is it has computers well i mean <laughs>
1: You know, supposedly there was a lot of wealth of human knowledge at the, the original Library of Alexandria.
0: Mm-hmm. So um, Let's go back to Alexander. What, right, his, so his Alexander,
1: um, so during his brief stay, he was crowned pharaoh in Memphis. I mean, you'd expect nothing less.
0: Of course. So I had a, a friend in Egypt. He was actually an Egyptology major, and he told me that the body of Alexandria is known. They actually know where it is. And he said it's it has in modern times, it's now kept hidden uh, in a basement in Los Angeles. Oh, that
1: sounds not true at all. That
0: sounds like there is no percentage of truth in that at all. <laughs> Although, you know, um, there have been some mummies
1: which have been unknowingly transported to the New World. Whoa. Um, there was actually a mummy in a museum in Buffalo. And they all thought it was fake. Yeah, yeah. But it actually turned out to be a real mummy. And... Uh, the US authorities were nice enough to ship the body back and that that mummy who was a king
0: yeah
1: actually he got a royal burial which meant that his body was floated down the Nile to the Valley of the Kings
0: wow yeah it'd be cool if they kind of almost had him just maybe float off of uh, Niagara Falls or something that would have been interesting that
1: wouldn't really accomplish anything (laughs) sure
0: it would be a sight to see nonetheless
1: (laughs) of course sure sure Um, well as we know Alexander he dies in 323 and uh, his general Ptolemy mm. became ruler of Egypt, established the Ptolemaic dynasty, oh. which, of course, um, the most famous leader of the of the Ptolemies was your girl, Cleopatra, beautiful, beautiful lady. In fifty four BC, uh, Julius Caesar oh, yeah. he took Alexandria by force, only to be seduced by Cleopatra who bore a son by him named Caesarion. After Caesar's death, she formed a similar alliance with Mark Antony. Uh, their joint fleets suffered disaster against Octavian at the Battle of Actium. Classic. And both Mark Antony and Cleopatra committed suicide. And of course, the way Cleopatra committed suicide is very famous. Why don't you, why don't you tell snake. us about that? The
0: snake, the asp. Mm-hmm. Right? She had a snake bite her in the neck. Poisonous snake. Yep. Dead.
1: Then Octavian you remember him, uh, had Caesarea murdered and reduced Egypt to the status of a province of the Roman Empire in 30 BC. That's how it
0: begins. Yeah. That's that's it. So up until this point, uh, you know, Egypt was this powerful empire and now it's just, it's under Rome. Um, Okay. So let's, let's move forward. Okay. Let's talk about Christian Egypt. Okay. Christianity arrived in Egypt in uh, 45 AD. Uh, when St. Mark converted an Alexandrian cobbler, Ananias, uh, to Christianity. Persecutions began in 202, uh, reaching their height under Emperor Diocletian, that's 284 to 305, when thousands, about 144,000 of Coptic Christians were massacred. This is known as the era of the martyrs. Emperor Constantine converted to Christianity, and in 324, he made Christianity the imperial religion. The Copts insisted on the oneness of father and son, and in 451, at the Council of Chalcedon, the cops split with the rest of Christianity and their patriarch was excommunicated, oh. hence why they have their own pope.
1: Right, right, So that's right. how
0: it all started, okay? Now, they're not the only game in town. Brendan, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Arabs? All right,
1: so what's coming next? The Arabs, they want a piece of this Egypt thing. does not Egypt was a province in the Arab Caliphate after... You know, the Arabs, they, they kind of just, you know, went in there, did their thing. Uh, in, in 969, the Fatimid Caliphs built a place city that included the University Mosque of Al-Azhar and was called Al-Kahira, the Victorious, which, of course, is mm-hmm. better known as Cairo. Oh, yeah. And then we have Salah Adin of the Ayyubid dynasty. He w- he did a lot of stuff. Yeah, he's he a was, good guy. Uh, but he did, a, he did a lot of building around uh, Cairo, and one of those is the Citadel Fortress,
0: uh, but we had a chance to go there. I think we uh, mm-hmm. we were in that. We were at the Citadel. We think we did. We eat some. I think I had a turkey leg. There. You had a turkey leg there, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's very. That's that's sort of very like, uh, fortress-like meal.
1: Mm-hmm. There is a very famous mosque there. Um, is that the mosque of the, Muhammad Ali? The Mu- Muhammad Ali that's, Mosque. This is his mosque. Yeah, uh, yeah. Interesting
0: story uh, for me and a friend of mine, a uh, Jewish American man. Uh, We go to the Muhammad Mosque uh, as tourists. Uh, Previously, we had some sort of a yogurt drink, (laughs) which doesn't never ends well. That's never going to be a good choice. Uh, We go there and we're walking, and this is the kind of place you can't have shoes on. You have to wear things. If you're going to wear shoes, you have to wear uh, coverings over them. Um, You know, this is one of the most famous mosques in the world. Uh, We're going there, and all of a sudden, he starts getting a little rumbling in his stomach. Uh, Then. Uh, he basically as we're standing in the middle of the mosque is about to vomit and he's he's covers his mouth we're scrambling like weaving between people people down as they're praying we're like weaving between the crowd uh finally as with like within seconds a foot outside of the floor of the mosque he vomits wow had that been a few seconds earlier i mean that would have been a uh, quite a demonstration what, what do you think would have
1: happened if uh if you were to i guess if you if you vomited a mosque do you do you
0: defile it what, what kind of it's not advised for tourists to do such a mm-hmm. thing so um that uh so that's that's over at the citadel but now i want i want to move on to uh so after the arabs right uh next era we got the mamluks okay Cairo became the intellectual and cultural center of the Islamic world. So that's interesting. So, you know, this is actually now their return, their sort of triumphant return to mm-hmm. being the uh, center of knowledge and right. culture, uh, not since the days of ancient Egypt, you know? So what What are
1: some of the things that were happening in Cairo at this time?
0: Mathematics. Uh, think of words that you know uh, actually, have an uh, Arab origin. Think of mm. algebra, right? Algebra. I think they had like a astrolabe here and there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, they love they <laughs> love those, those astrolabes. I don't know what they do, but they seem to be a great asset when you're uh, traveling.
1: Right, right. Um, all right. So, so Napoleon and his uh, musket armed forces blew apart the scimitar wielding Mamluk cavalry at the Battle of the Pyramids uh, in 1798. The British destroyed Napoleon's fleet. All anchored at Abukir Bay off the coast of Alexandria, Napoleon returned secretly to France, leaving his army behind. Brave. Brave Uh, man. (laughs) He brought 167 scholars and artists whom he commissioned to make a complete study of Egypt's monuments, crafts, arts, flora, and fauna. The resulting work published the Description de Egypt, which stimulated the study of Egyptian antiquities.
0: This is cool, because some of these guys he brought over are, like, legends. Yeah, yeah. He He has, like, this, like, crack team of people. He brings over, like... Uh, this guy, the guy that started the Louvre. Mm-hmm. I, I think his last name was <laughs> Louvre. Okay. Uh, he brings him over. He brings in uh, like dolomite, like the guy that discovers dolomite. Mm-hmm. He brings in like all like the best scientists and artists right. and all these people in the world to come and like basically, uh, you know, document all this stuff. Um, and this is the this is the the first time
1: in any. Western scholars yeah. set their eyes on things like, you know, hieroglyphics, yeah. started to translate them.
0: And this is crazy. This is basically like where like Egyptomania starts. Yeah. This is where like these. this is where there's a boom in like this kind of tourism, like people for the first time being introduced to ancient Egypt. Right. In this way. Uh, when
1: the British army arrived on Abukir Bay in 1801, mm-hmm. the French agreed to an armistice and departed. Under the Capitulation Agreement, the archaeological treasures gathered by Napoleon's savants were surrendered to Britain, which is why the Rosetta Stone ended up in the British Museum oh, yeah. rather than the Louvre. That's a big coup yeah, by the yeah. British.
0: Yeah, yeah. What's what? Is, can you tell us a bit about the Rosetta Stone? Oh, first? classic. This is massive, right? So they didn't know how to read any of these hieroglyphics. They didn't know what's going on. I mean, it does look like some you know, scribbly over there, mm-hmm. right? Just birds right? And, right. you know... Water and hands, sure. Who can understand it, right? Um, but the Rosetta Stone actually was the way to, to crack that code. Um, so it had um, it had Greek, Demotic, and hieroglyphic. Mm-hmm. Now, is it is it hieroglyphs? You read hieroglyphs but it's hieroglyphics is the language. Oh, so. yeah. I never
1: I never thought about that. Yeah, because it doesn't matter. That's yeah. why you never thought about <laughs> yes, it. No. Okay.
0: Now, uh, let's move on. So I want to get into the Albanian kings, okay? So the French and then the British departure left Egypt politically unstable, soon exploited by an Albanian lieutenant of the Ottoman army named Muhammad Ali. Okay. He fought and conspired his way to become Pasha or governor of Egypt in 1805. On March 1st, 1811, famous story, he invites 470 Mamluk leaders to the citadel, to the citadel that you know built by Salah Adin, um for a feast for his son's departure to Mecca. As they approached the Bab el Azab, the great gate uh, swung closed and gunfire rained down from above. His soldiers then uh, came in with swords and axes to finish the job. Only one Mamluk escaped alive, leaping off the wall on his horse to tell wow, the story. Wow,
1: that's that's a, they do that a lot. A they lot, like to leave the king.
0: one guy behind. Right? Well, I mean,
1: a lot of a lot of a lot of kings they, they do that. They invite you know their enemies for sure. a feast. Yeah, why and then would, they want up just slaughtering why them? Why, why would you suspicious? ever agree? Yeah, like, if,
0: if you're if if your enemy is this whatever pasha or governor. Why are you going over his house? And no one's questioning this? Four hundred and seventy people fell for this.
1: Right, right. And why would you go to the citadel? I mean, yeah, this is you a know fortress. that's where all the, the
0: Meet at a restaurant somewhere downtown. Don't go to his fortress. What were the restaurants like
1: in uh, they were great. Cairo uh, eighteen eleven? I mean, I don't think
0: they had any Yelp reviews at the time, but they were mm, fantastic. Okay. Great service. We'll so. get to the cuisine later. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay. Now, uh in this sort of era, right? Later on, um, Muhammad Ali's heirs uh, built uh, the Suez Canal, which opened in 1869. Uh, The monument, now known as the Statue of Liberty, was originally intended to stand at the mouth of the Suez Canal. That would have been cool if if, uh, Lady Liberty was there. Or Do you like it better where it is now? What's your preference?
1: I kind of like it where it is now. It's good now. Yeah. Sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. We're used to it. Uh, So I think I like it where it is. Do you think at any point Egypt's going to ask for it?
1: Um, no, I think it's, It's I think it's, uh, yeah, it's decidedly American now. (laughs) Sure, at this point, right? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um, interesting. Now, um, the opera Aida was originally commissioned for the opening ceremony. However, Verdi was late and it was performed two years later. I always thought that's what uh, that, that opera was for, was for the opening series. Now, it didn't happen at the opening. Two years late it happened. Wow. I know this is Egypt. I know things don't always happen on time, but two (laughs) years even, and for Verdi... Of all people. Right, yeah. Now what's interesting, this was an interesting thing. The viceroy at the opening of um of the Suez Canal, the viceroy, the Viceroy of Egypt uh, stated that Egypt was now a part of Europe, not Africa. Ooh, that fighting words. Uh, that is I that's that uh, that statement had no bearing <laughs> <laughs> on the assignment to which continent it was on. So tell us about the next. The next group is
1: the British. So although the heirs of Muhammad Ali remained on the throne, the real power was held by the British. From 1883 to eight, 1907, Egypt was cro- controlled by British agent Sir Evelyn Baring. That
0: is not the most intimidating name. <laughs> so, I mean, Sir not. Evelyn. <laughs> I'm not too scared by this guy.
1: <laughs> and uh, this 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 was known as the Veiled Protectorate. So, Egyptian desire for self-determination, this, uh, this led to riots in the early part of the 19th century. In uh, 1922, Britain abolished the protectorate and recognized Egypt as an independent state, but kept control of the judiciary, communications, defense, and the Suez Canal, while Fuad assumed the title of king.
0: Okay, so 1952, uh, this is an Anglo-Egyptian showdown, okay, over a police station in the Suez Canal zone, uh, provided the spark that ignited the capital. Okay, on January 26th, 1952, known as Black Saturday. Um, now, again, this is not some sort of uh, shopping uh, frenzy. Okay, this is, this is much more grim. Mm-hmm. Uh, foreign-owned shops and businesses were torched by mobs. However, uh, Black Friday is, is in the United States is not that much different <laughs> from this event. Okay, um, now a faction within the Egyptian officer corps, uh, known as the Free Officers, staged a bloodless coup. So, on, uh, on July uh, 26, 1952, King Farouk, uh, descendant of the Albanian Muhammad Ali... Call uh, back., Yeah. <laughs> uh, ...departed from Alexandria Harbor on the royal yacht, leaving Egypt to be ruled by Egyptians for the first time since the pharaohs. Very wow. exciting. Uh, I, this, this sort of uh, punished, this banishment on the royal yacht... Uh, not so bad. <laughs> I
1: yeah, mean, really, what is that? Like, wait, where was he going? Where did he actually wind up going?
0: I'm sure he just cruised around the Mediterranean yeah. for a few months, right? You know, I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, what is that? Yeah. Why did they let him go on a royal yacht? Why didn't they just like put him on the back of a donkey and like into the desert or something? That's true. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's cool though that this is actually the first time they're ruled by the Egyptians since the Pharaohs. This is amazing. Yes. Yeah, really, is- I guess since like. I guess since Alexander the Great, you know, prior to that, it was Egyptians. Mm-hmm. Then you have all these foreign invaders. You have right. the Greeks. You the have Arabs. the Persians. You have the Arabs. You have the Ottomans. The, the Ottomans you have the French. You have the Britain. Now it's back to mm-hmm. Egypt, back to the basics. Right. Okay? That's right. Uh, they should. I mean, they could have started uh, finishing those uh, the you know pyramid projects. Get that collapsed pyramid back up. <laughs> yeah, um, that's what they need to do. It's still point. time. There is still time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, the leader of the Free Officers, Colonel Gamal Abdel Nasser, was elected president in 1956. That's right. So tell us a little bit about Let's Nasser. Let's talk
1: about Nasser for a bit. So, Nasser nationalized the Suez Canal to finance the building of the great Aswan Dam that would control the flooding of the Nile and boost Egyptian agriculture. Uh, the British and the French send troops to retake the canal as, you know, you'd expect them to. But they were forced to retreat after the UN applied pressure. Nasser emerged from the conflict a hero of the developing world. In 1967, anger flared up when Israel threatened to invade Syria, and Nasser sent forces into Sinai, cutting shipping to the Israeli port of El In June, Israel responded with a preemptive strike, destroying Egypt's air force before it was airborne. Oh,
0: this is this is the biggest embarrassment. And actually, the the radio stations at the time. Completely, like made up a story. They were mm. saying that, like, oh, the 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 planes are in the air. They're striking Israel. We're gonna win this thing. <laughs> Meanwhile, while not a single plane left the ground, oh. so they totally tried wow. to dupe the public wow. into thinking that they were like winning this battle.
1: And finally, when shooting stopped six days later, the Six Day War, Israel controlled all the Sinai Peninsula and it closed the Suez Canal, which did not reopen for another eight years. A humiliated Nasser offered to resign. The Egyptian people wouldn't accept this and he remained in office until his death from a heart attack in 1970.
0: Sad day. That was a sad day. People wore black uh, yeah. uh, ribbons or, <laughs> or something did. some sort of uh, thing to signify mm-hmm. sorrow. What are some things
1: uh, today in Egypt that commemorate uh, Nasser?
0: I think there's uh, Nasser City. Mm-hmm. There's sort of an outskirt of Cairo. Oh, yeah. That's, that's right. one. Um, and other, I think, knickknacks in the stores oh, and bobbleheads, yeah. I, I would assume. <laughs> right, right. right? Um, but Nasser's great, but the real bad boy president is Anwar mm, Sadat, yeah. comes next. Okay, no, Another one of the free officers becomes Egypt's next president. Uh, most famous uh, uh, event uh, during his era is uh, on October 6, 1973, on the Jewish holiday of Yom Kippur, This is now known as the Yom Kippur War. He launched a surprise attack across the Suez Canal, um, basically busting through this uh, impregnable barrier. Mm. Sadat signed the Camp David Agreement in which Israel agreed to withdraw from Sinai in return for Egyptian recognition of Israel's right to exist. This was seen as a betrayal by the Arab world. And then on October 6, 1981, at a parade commemorating the 1973 war, one of his soldiers, a member of an Islamist group, broke from the marching ranks and sprayed the presidential stand with gunfire. Sadat was killed instantly. That's a shame. Well, what happens next? um,
1: Another one of the free officers was your boy, Hosni Mubarak. Sure. Uh, Under the emergency laws passed after Sadat's murder, demonstrations and strikes were crushed by riot police. And these emergency laws actually were passed after Sadat's murder. They... I believe they were in place up until Mubarak was ousted. Yeah, this was like this was martial law for like something like thirty <laughs> yeah. years.
0: They just never. Abolished. Well, you have to. You can't be too sure. I mean, I don't know. There was assassin still out there. Yeah, you yeah. Gotta... After you know, after
1: thirty years, maybe, but
0: I'd say that's the cutoff for martial law. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, Mubarak did keep the trains running on time. You know, he managed to keep the lid on the Islamist extremists. In 2005, after having been re-elected president four times already, Wow, Mubarak Success. was uh, obliged to open the election to other candidates. Oh, come on, you know. When he ran for a fifth term, Mubarak won with 89 percent of the vote, Ooh, which is like su- That's like surprisingly low for an absolute dictator. Yeah, isn't if, you're, it?
0: if you're a dictator, is they getting 89 in the nineties? <laughs> yeah. like, I mean, that's pretty bad.
1: Because like you know, guys like Kim Jong Un, like they're yeah. always at like 99. Yeah. You know, uh, Saddam was. Ninety-eight, ninety-nine. Yeah, that's actually
0: pretty sad. Yeah, <laughs>
1: damn. So what
0: in you know what happens to Mubarak next? Uh, I think that's fine. He just kind of does this thing, and everything. Is <laughs> the story's over? I think so. I mean, if you want to talk go to specifics, sure. Yeah, the two thousand and eleven revolution. Oops. Fine. Sure. Okay. Fine. So the overthrow of the Tunisian dictator Ben Ali early in two thousand and eleven inspired uh, Arabs across North Africa and the Gulf to revolts. Okay. Uh, and in Egypt, activists called for a day of rage on uh, January 25th, 2011. Interesting J- that January 25th, number 26th was a big day as well mm. in history. Um, You know, using, so they were using Facebook, Twitter, SMS uh, to mobilize protesters on Cairo's main square, Medan Tahrir. Uh, now, just to give the audience an idea of what Medan Tahrir uh, looks like, I mean, there's a, there's a, a less revolutionary uh, Hardee's on the corner. I believe there's two KFCs, and just around the corner there's a um, a, uh, a Pizza, pizza hut. hut there, right. which, which uh, our your, yours truly and our, uh, our other host here had. Uh, had enjoyed a nice pizza in which there was uh, a revolution of different sorts in which a hot dogs were embedded into the crust of the pizza. Right, right. So was a bold move. Different sort of groundbreaking events uh, taking place in the same square. Right, which right. Which is exciting stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, at this time, when everyone's in Tahir, uh, protesters were uh, tear-gassed and beaten on the second night. Crowds uh, were... Uh, Fired on by snipers, but each day it saw people returning to Tahrir. Uh, it's funny. It's, state TV claimed that foreign agents were supplying uh, KFC and drugs to the protesters. Which <laughs> I know why both? No the... Like why, why the KFC? Like that's, yeah, that's weird. Why what what is the KFC going to do to influence people?
1: I guess give them energy. I don't know. I
0: uh, that uh, the eleven herbs and spices can uh, incite <laughs> a revolt. Right. Um, so that's that's an interesting they always a lot of times actually you hear these rumors about like sort of conspiracies and KFC is always at the core of this really like there was ones about like sort of like I think uh, afterwards when we we get into the elections like so some of the elections were uh, like rigged and they were saying oh well they were giving KFC to people so they would vote for a certain person Uh, and it's like I don't understand why is that the most like intoxicating (laughs) like sort of convincing thing to give the public well I mean KFC. I I understand. I I I, I mean, I would just do anything. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. For a nice, uh, crispy wing. Biscuit. (laughs) Sure. Uh, but now, on February 11th, um, 2011, President Mubarak resigned as president. Uh, which I feel bad for his son, um... Gamal was, Gamal who's sort of being groomed to be the next president yeah he's just yeah because like, what else is he going to be good at he's that's been, true Yeah. his whole I mean, life was he... just like oh you're just going to be the president yeah don't learn to do anything but yeah. things, things just had to cha- things just had to, to change yeah uh, now uh, Field Marshal Tantawi took power and formed the Supreme Council of the Armed Forces okay but it's not all uh, sunny skies so tell us a little bit what happened no. after the
1: revolution so on the night of March 9th soldiers forcibly cleared Tahrir and sealed it off uh, in May, Salafists burned down three churches in the Cairo suburb of Imbaba, followed by attacks on other churches outside the capital. In October, cops protesting outside the state TV building were crushed by armored personnel carriers, leaving 28 dead and 212 people injured. In late November, uh, Egypt saw six days of fighting in several cities, leaving nearly 40 people dead and over 2,000 injured. Wow. Wow.
0: Okay, so now, uh, after all this violence, the next player on the scene is uh, the uh, Muslim Brotherhood's Muhammad Morsi. He becomes Egypt's first democratically elected president. Uh, he pushed through a pro-Islamist constitution, granted himself unlimited powers, uh, put himself above the law, and suppressed public protests. So he he wasn't wasting any time.
1: Yeah, yeah. He
0: was going right it's for It's kind
1: it. of ballsy. I mean, like... Yeah. Granting yourself unlimited powers and uh, putting yourself above above law, I mean, that never works.
0: No. I mean, like, because everyone... Like, and these people just had a revolution. Yeah. Like, they're just gonna... They're, these, these are oh, a country full of revolutionaries. Right, right. To go and be an even worse dictator mm-hmm. than, than the previous guy, what was the what long-term was his, plan? What were this?
1: his advisors telling him? I mean... That's, that's just arrogance at that point.
0: Uh, so, clearly that did not work out. Uh, millions took to the streets to demand his resignation. Uh, when that failed, the army stepped in. It's interesting, actually, because the army is sort of the people in a way. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, I think, you know, the, the eldest male of a family is automatically a part of, becomes a part of the army. And oh, is that true? Some, wow. uh, like Training and things like that. So it's like... From each family, there's going to be somebody mm. in the army. So you're always going to know somebody that's affiliated with the army. So it's actually a nice sort of way to kind of keep the power to the people. See, I am actually a citizen of Egypt. But I think because I'm the only male, I don't have to join the mm-hmm. army. It's not quite clear. I think I still require some letter to like say that. And I mm-hmm. think if I go back to Egypt, there is a chance. I might have to uh, take up arms. <laughs>
1: uh, the uh, the leader of the army is someone named Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, uh, which, who was Morsi's defense minister. And uh, he actually, you know, he um, was behind some of the reg- regime change which ousted Morsi. Uh, what he did was he resigned from the army and announced his candidacy to uh, president of Egypt in the spring of 2014. And he actually won... With about 96% of the votes. See, so he's like, he's like,
0: he's besting Mubarak. That's good. That's what that, it's like. Mubarak got 89 with like martial law and all like just all kinds of rigging of the elections. Still only got 89. CC comes in and gets 96. Right. That's, that's pretty, pretty legitimate. That's I pretty mean, impressive. like that's a mandate. Like if you if you adjust the calculations, CC actually got like 189 of <laughs> yes, like right of the vote, and that's where things stand today. Yep. In in Egypt. Wow. So we've we've come a long way from uh, from pharaohs to kings to invaders, invaders to presidents. Uh, everyone's scrambling to 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 run the show in Egypt. What I love about Egypt is. Um, you know, through all these revolutions and through all these uh, foreign invaders, uh, it's the uh, the Egyptian Egyptians will always be Egyptians. So going back to that quote uh, from Pope Shenouda in the beginning, you know, Egypt, it's on the inside, mm-hmm. okay. And with those words, uh, this completes our uh, brief time of history, Brendan. Okay, so uh, listen, let's let's come back and uh, we'll get into our uh, travel log segment. <laughs> All right, Brendan, this brings us to our next segment, the travelogue uh, segment of our show, where we interview a traveler to our uh, selected destination, of course, in this episode, Egypt. So today, uh, that will be myself. Yes, and you've been
1: to uh, Egypt how many times?
0: I've been there twice, uh, in 1992 and then for several months in uh, 2009, I was employee at uh, the American University in Cairo. Uh, of course, by chance, I had just uh, showed up and I got a job.
1: Um, what were you teaching in uh, at the university? Uh...
0: I was a TA for a um, a uh, biotechnology class in which the students, um, interestingly enough, uh, knew more than me. It's <laughs> uh, sort of an interesting take on education, to have the students actually teach... Uh, the teacher. Yeah, I'm sure that's what they were going <laughs> for
1: when they hired you. Now, what was your favorite city in
0: Egypt? Okay, so listen, I went to a few different spots. Uh, of course, Cairo, uh, Alexandria, um, uh, Luxor, Aswan, uh, Dahab, Sharm El Sheikh. Uh, they're all great, but listen, the, the 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 beating heart of Egypt is in Cairo. That's hands down. It has everything. It's mm-hmm. it's got the history. It's got the the people. You get to see um, people from all over Egypt there. People from all over the world there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it shows you how um, you know worldly that city is, and how you know it will it'll it'll always be the the eternal city as and it's not nicknamed, <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> So what were uh, what were some of your favorite parts
1: of Cairo? I
0: like uh, what I love about Cairo. I mean, I've been to so many different parts. I was in, um, you know, uh, you know the in Heliopolis mostly, but you know, going to the downtown and going to uh, Zamalek. Um, so
1: all the, the where the westerners go.
0: I wanted to actually get the unique experience of what. Uh, Westerners did. What do
1: rich Egyptians do? What do rich
0: Egyptians and Westerners do uh, and how to uh, live the typical Kyrene lifestyle mm. but in a more air conditioned environment. Right. Sure. Right. Or a more um, uh, strawberry milkshake and french fried environment. Right. So <laughs> Those really are very
1: popular dishes. Get uh, into the
0: nitty gritty staple Staple <laughs> sure. diet sure, items. Sure. 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 So let's talk
1: more about uh, you know your experiences around the city. Um, Give us a sense of the food you ate there. What was, you know, what was something different you ate? What was something that was a bit strange okay. that you okay. ate?
0: Um. Yeah, this, I'd say the strangest thing, I ate a couple different things. Um, pigeon is uh, big there. I ate, like, kind of like a pigeon, like organs, mm. uh, which are really tiny. And, you know, they say that these sort of things are a delicacy, but, like, how much of a, can you appreciate, like, a a pigeon heart that's like the size of an M&M. Right, right. Uh, So that was one thing. Also, uh, cow brain is another another, uh, dish uh, served there. Uh, It's kind of hard to tell what it... I mean, a a pigeon heart, I guess I can figure out. Uh, A cow brain? I I didn't even know cows had brains, (laughs) to be honest. (laughs) Right, yeah. uh, But uh, yeah, that one was a surprise. I was glad I did it. Uh, I, you know, I think when you go to any foreign country, uh, I'd say go for the weirdest thing cause you're not going to get that chance again. Um, I mean, don't get like, you know, get some like, you know, tapeworm or anything. <laughs> that's, I mean, yeah, sure. That's exotic, but mm-hmm. is it worth it? How about you? What, what was for you? What was the strangest thing that you ate?
1: We got some kebabs in Cairo mm-hmm. and which they tasted good, but they were actually camel. They made a camel. Oh my God. Which, uh, I never have before. Yeah. Um, can you tell us of any scary moments you had or something or any, anything that made you a little uneasy, uh, during your sure, travels? Sure,
0: sure, Uh, I would say, uh, a scary moment was, uh, me and, uh, again, my uh, co-traveler, uh, we went to a, it was like a hookah bar, um, that we saw in one of the guides. Uh, we go in there and they start like, um giving us, like, all this, like, uh, extra stuff that we didn't order. It was getting kind of weird. There was, like, this one, like, belly dancer in there who, you know, I, you know, I, you know, kind of went up on the stage just for a moment, just Mm to... (laughs) Wait, you went up on the stage? Just to dance for just a moment, you know, just kind of show my stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And she was sort of dressed in a very gaudy sort of way, uh, and then the bill came, and it was sort of, like, uh, astronomically high. Uh, the uh, the guy, the owner of the place, he looks kind of like I don't know, in Indiana Jones, you know, sort of that sort of sleazy kind of uh, character in there. He was like mm-hmm. a local, right. kind of guy. He kind of looked almost identical to that. Uh, I mean, he wasn't wearing a fez or anything. That would be ridiculous, but um, uh, sort of that kind of a heavy set man. Um, and he gives us this bill, and we're like, "There's no way we're paying. We got like, yeah." two waters and like you know we barely got anything and he was like gives this crazy bill and like this is a total scam this is crazy so we pay for what's appropriate uh-huh. and we quickly get out of there and then he begins in this place the entrance to this was sort of in an alleyway uh-huh. which is already you know this is not the most yeah. reputable place and he actually starts chasing after us wow. yelling at us um, because we didn't pay the full bill but we couldn't it was really out, yeah, of, yeah. out of proportion to what we got uh, so we're running out of there we, we, we run away uh, turns out that place, actually, we didn't know at the time, was a brothel. Oh, <laughs> yeah. wow. Yeah, yeah. Why did you walk in in the first place? Uh, just what the guide t- told, told me to do. <laughs> You're quite the adventurous <laughs> sure, traveler. Sure, sure,
1: Well, at this point, we would like to uh, get into our uh, the four Fs oh, yeah. of cultural survival, which are uh, film, fiction food and funk right this will guide you through
0: the the culture of right. egypt
1: so why don't you tell us a bit about uh some of the the essential films that have come out of egypt i'd
0: love to i'd love to so if we're, if we're talking about a film in egypt you can't not talk about yusuf shaheen okay he's a director uh, one of the most famous directors um he was active in the egyptian film industry from about 1950 to until or really up until his death in 2008. He was a winner of the Cannes uh, 50th Anniversary Award for Lifetime Achievement. Uh, he was uh, credited with launching the career of actor Omar Sharif. Um, one of his biggest films, this one I actually watched, uh, was Alexandria Y. From 1979. Uh, so sort of the, the description given on, uh, on the film. is So amid the poverty, death, and suffering caused by World War II, 18-year-old Yehia retreats into a private world of fantasy and longing, Obsessed with Hollywood, he dreams of one day studying filmmaking in America. Uh, but after falling in love and discovering the lies of European occupation, Yahia profoundly reevaluates his identity and allegiances. So interesting that film. That uh, It was weird the way they sort of showed the U.S. Uh, in this movie because <laughs> it was displayed by uh, Egyptians uh, and they just gave him like a blonde wig mm. to sort of show what yeah. uh, America was like. Um, uh, interesting film it is interesting because this was sort of the time where this is World War II you've got the British you've got Rommel and the Germans um, and there's sort of uh, you know uh, these sort of uh, foreign powers making their way into Egypt and sort of uh, that backdrop amidst uh, this longing to uh, travel and these these dreams uh, to, uh, to make it big in the US I thought it was a, it was a good, good movie
1: well um, let's talk about another film uh, yeah. which you may have yeah. heard of called the Yacoubian Building. Uh, this is an, an eye-catching construction. Uh, the Yacoubian Building in Cairo is long regarded as the last word in comfort and elegance. Uh, today, the veneer has cracked and the shine has dulled to reveal the truth underneath the facade. Through interurban stories of a number of the residents, the film paints a portrait of corruption, fundamentalism, prostitution, homosexuality, and drugs in central Cairo, and creates a vibrant but socially critical picture contemporary egypt so we both saw this this movie and this is actually it's a bit risque Mm -hmm. for what you would imagine people in egypt watching um it really does paint uh touch on some things that even in this country are like are taboo things um one of the things in there homosexuality is something that you know is almost never uh discussed in egypt and it's actually very interesting. Uh, we When I went to see this movie in uh, this hotel, and when it came time... There's one scene in the movie where uh, one of the uh, homosexual characters is uh, killed. And while he was being killed, the uh, the audience was actually laughing. Whoa, what? It, it, it was like a funny thing. So it was, you know...
0: Um, I mean, did he like slip on a banana peel or something? Or no, what, it was it was uh, it was
1: it was you know uh, quite a gruesome murder. But okay. yeah, it was it was laughed throughout, the, throughout the, the theater, which uh, I found to be very interesting because it's you know, not something you probably would would see. Overall, the film was uh, really interesting and um, it really does make help you sort of see you know, what's going on in Egypt in you know in a not boring way.
0: All right. Now, uh, I want to move on to fiction. So the big dog in fiction is Naguib Mahfouz. Tell us a little bit about him.
1: Naguib Mahfouz. So uh, he published 34 novels, over three hundred fifty short stories, dozens of movie scripts, and five plays over his 70-year career. In 1988, he was awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature. Ooh, that's Um, big. That's really big. This is a
0: world-famous guy.
1: Yeah. Not just in Egypt. His most famous uh, work was the Cairo Trilogy, mm-hmm. which is uh, the story of a Muslim family in Cairo during Britain's occupation of Egypt in the early decades of the 20th century. Right,
0: now, I actually, I uh, listened to this on audiobook. Uh, again, for the audience, I have uh, difficulty reading. Uh, <laughs> so, in, in this, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, so I got a chance to just listen to the, the audiobook. Uh, and uh, so, you know, it's interesting. It goes through kind of the different... Rev- it, it's amidst the different revolutions uh in egypt up until the 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 bloodless coup uh it follows his family through the generations uh and it gives you real insight into um you know to family uh dynamics and a lot of um you know deaths and alcoholism and other things that were taboo at the time to talk about so this is really groundbreaking stuff mm-hmm. um let's move on to food yep yeah. um so, so what's your pick? What's your what's your hot spot for food in Cairo?
1: So there's a place in downtown called Abu Tarek, mm-hmm. and they specialize Classic. in the Egyptian national dish, I believe it is, called kushari. Mm-hmm. Kushari is made of rice, uh, macaroni, lentils, um, maybe some other pasta mixed together, and it's topped with a tomato vinegar sauce. And they throw on some chickpeas and crispy fried onions and it is really amazing. And like you can't find it anywhere, like yeah. in this country. Like yeah. no one sells it. I'm surprised it. It's there's weird. no like
0: food carts yeah. or anything that do this sort of thing. Uh, so definitely a unique dish and Abu Tarik are the uh, the kings of kushary, uh, certainly. Uh, now, Brendan, our last segment of the four Fs is funk, the music of a nation. Okay, now if you're talking about music in Egypt, you got to start off with Abdel Halim Hafez, the son of the revolution. Classic song, Sawa, Ahwak, Khosara. Like Sawa uh, is one of my favorites. The first time I actually heard it was in the Cairo airport. as I was, as I was leaving Egypt. Beautiful song. Um, I okay, audience. I'm going to be honest. I, I maybe I teared up a little bit <laughs> in the airport hearing that song for the first time as I was. Saying goodbye. Uh, another uh, big song of his is Khosara. Actually, it will sound familiar to American audiences because it's famously sampled by uh, uh, Sir Jay Z mm. uh, in the song "Big Pimping." Oh wow, fact, that's, that's actually great. a sample. It's an Abdul Halim Hafez sample, mm. now immortalized in Jay Z uh, and his glorification of uh, exploiting women. <laughs> oh, okay. What was the original song about? Ah, uh, same thing. Ooh, okay. I think it was, I think Kosara. I think translates roughly into big pimping or large pimping. I mean, <laughs> okay, large grand, pimping. Grand pimping. Okay, pimping Kabir or something mm-hmm. like that. I, I would imagine that uh, Jay Z would not have deviated too much from the uh, intended themes of the song. Now, um, next up, we got Om um uh the you know uh, short of the Aretha Franklin of Egypt. Uh, Amr Diab, the Ricky Martin of Egypt. And Hakim, the King of shabi. Shabi is kind of more of like a street music. It's, it's, mm. it's more fun. It's uh, the, the, the little faster tempo uh, versus like Amr Diab, kind of more of the ballads. I actually got to see Amr Diab live in concert uh, in Atlantic City. Oh, wow. Uh, that was a good time, uh, you know, just kind of uh, just cheering, just like a maniac mm-hmm. in the audience. Uh, but I want to close uh, today's uh, episode as we are about to land at Cairo International Airport um, with uh, one of my favorites, a classic. Uh, You've had a lot of parties, a lot of weddings. That's gonna be "Ala Lake Yesidi by Ihab Tofiq. <laughs>